Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. From the excitement of the festivals to the mundane, normal stuff, it all matters to God, right? And we know what that feels like. The mountaintop, mountaintop highs, and then you go into the valleys, and then you even just go from the valleys into this, the plains. And it doesn't matter where you're at, it all matters to God. It doesn't matter if you're throwing a festival for Him, or celebrating the Feast of Trumpets or whatever, or if you're just keeping the lamps lit or the bread made, it all matters to Him. We all have interests that consume us. If it gets bad enough, we can let those things become idols, and we completely center our lives around them, gaining nothing of substance in return. Today, Pastor James wants you to know that God is real, and He wants to bring substance into your life. So stop worshiping futile things like objects, careers, or people, and let Him guide you to a life of real purpose. No matter how incredible it might seem, if you worship the things of this world, you're never going to be fulfilled. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Leviticus chapter 24 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Let's read through this verses one through nine. It says, the Lord said to Moses, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives or olive oil for the light to keep the lamps burning continually. This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. This is a permanent law for you and it must be observed from generation to generation. Aaron and the priest must tend the lamps on the pure gold lampstand continually in the Lord's presence. We've, we've already, we've gone through a lot of this um, in Leviticus, but also more specifically in the book of Exodus, okay? And then we're going to, now let's talk about, we just had food, let's talk about bread, all right? And I'll, I'll, I'll don't worry, I'll, I'm not going to try to move too quickly, but this uh, verse five, five through nine, you must bake 12 flat loaves of bread from choice flour using flour quarts, uh, or four quarts, sorry, of flour for each loaf. Place the bread before the Lord on the pure gold table and arrange the loaves in two stacks with six loaves on each stack. Put some frankincense near each stack to serve as a representative offering, a special gift presented to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, this bread must be laid out before the Lord as a gift from the Israelites. It is an ongoing expression of the eternal covenant. The loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and his descendants, who must eat them in its sacred place, in a sacred place, for they are most holy. It is a permanent right of the priest to claim this portion of the special gifts presented to the Lord. All right, so uh, just real quick, we just went through Leviticus chapter 23, which is all like the festivals and you know, just uh, you got the springtime harvest time or festivals, and then you got the fall time festivals, and it's just amazing. It's party, it's party, it's party, it's party. And then you get to here, and it's like, all right, keep the lamps lit and make some bread. And what, what's fascinating about this, and uh, I just jotted down this note, is from the excitement of the festivals to the mundane, normal stuff, it all matters to God, right? And we know what that feels like. The mountaintop, mountaintop highs, 
and then you go into the valleys, and then you even just go from the valleys into this, the plains. And it doesn't matter where you're at, it all matters to God. It doesn't matter if you're throwing a festival for him, or celebrating the Feast of Trumpets, or whatever, or if you're just keeping the lamps lit, or the bread made, it all matters to him. It all matters. It may not be as exciting, but it matters to him, right? So I think I, I wanted to make sure that we made note of that because just to keep you kind of encouraged, where it feels like I'm not really doing much for him, and, and just my day in and day out. Look, if, you're, if your day in and day out is just going to work and being a good worker, you're doing it for the Lord, and that matters. That matters. You're showing up. You're being nice to people. You're loving your neighbor. That really matters to him. So just keep doing that. It doesn't, it ha- doesn't have to be about the, the mountaintop experiences of the feast and the festivals. Those are great times. We get those. And then every single one of us will experience a valley, for sure. But it's, it's in between those two dynamics, right? It's in those, those flat plains where it's like nothing's happening. And I think I've seen that rock before, right, on this path that I'm going down. Like, am I going in circles? Like, what's going on here? I've been on many hikes through the mountains, many hikes. And it's, you know, it's fun. Well, it's not always fun. It it gets a little scary sometimes going through those valleys. And it's really fun, you know, getting up to that mountaintop. But what you don't really pay much attention to is when you're just walking through the flat plains. But that matters to the Lord, too. It matters to him. So from the festivals to the keeping the lamps lit and to making the, these gigantic loaves of bread, because that's a lot of bread. Uh, if you read back through there and you see those measurements, that, those are big loaves of bread. That's a lot of bread. It's all for the Lord. It's all for him. The thing that I like about the, this section in particular is Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light. Jesus is the bread of life. Light of the world, bread of life. Here he is kind of represented so, you know, here within the tabernacle of keep the lamps lit, the, the Holy Spirit's the oil, keeps it going, keeps the flame going, all that good stuff, right there, right next to the, the curtain of the separating, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, the lamps are still burning, the lamp, the lamp doesn't go out, the bread's always there available, and it just, anytime I go through this, I see that, and I'm like, Jesus is the light of the world, Jesus is the bread of life. Okay, cool. And all this stuff matters. And then you get into this weird section. Um, This is where the left turn comes from. Um, Just really strange kind of narrative thing that happens here. Verse 10, it says, One day, a man who had an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father came out of his tent and got into a fight with one of the Israelite men, right? So we're talking about bread. We're talking about lamps. And then... For some reason, the Holy Spirit inspiring Moses is like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about this story. Um, You're like, where does does this fit here? Um, It does. Here's this guy. He's got an Egyptian father, an Israelite mother, and he gets into a fight with an Israelite man. During the fight, the son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. So the man was brought to Moses for judgment. His mother was uh, Shelomith. that's how you say her name, the daughter of Debris of the tribe of Dan. They kept the man in custody until the Lord's will in the matter should become clear to them. So that's a, that's a good thing, right? They didn't overreact. They're like, let's keep him in custody. Let's hear what the Lord has to say about this. Because he committed a, a very flagrant sin. 
He blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. He didn't just blaspheme his name with a curse. That's like going above and beyond, okay? This is breaking the commandment, but to like the 10th degree, okay? Verse 13, the Lord said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp and tell all those who heard the curse to lay their hands on his head. Then let the entire community stone him to death, (laughs) right? And you're like, oh, wow, it seems excessive. Uh, Say to the people of Israel, those who curse their God will be punished for their sin. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. Any native-born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. And you're like, that's just crazy and excessive. And here's the thing. God is setting a standard. And all throughout Leviticus, we've heard, I'm the Lord. I'm holy. I'm holy. I'm holy. You be holy. And there's this, there's this idea behind this of like, there should be this uh, tremendous amount of reverence and godly fear towards God and his name. And you, you, you can't curse his name. You can't blaspheme his name. And there was a price to pay if this was going to happen. And this guy, and what you can tell by the, kind of by the, the story is, obviously, there was more going on inside of him right? For him to blaspheme and to curse God. There's something else going on inside of there. And do I understand this story totally? No, I don't. But I don't have to, to a certain extent, right? I would like to know more of these details and all that good stuff. What I do know is that God knows every man's heart. He knows every man's heart. And I also know that God is a God who is just and righteous. And so if God says, take him out, and stone him, I, even though I may not understand this story and the dynamics and all that stuff, what I, do, I, what I do know is that I trust God, and I trust his wisdom, and I trust his judgment. He knows more, he probably knows more of what was happening in the story than any of us would, um, but this was, this would be quite a lesson for the entire camp of Israel to learn. Like, we probably shouldn't blaspheme God's name. We should probably rever- revere his name. We should probably He's been telling us that he is holy and he expects us to be holy. We should probably give him the proper due, proper respect that he is worthy of. I praise God again, like I've said many times throughout Leviticus. Um, this isn't true for you today. So if you're like, I don't know if I blasphemed his name, we're not going to lay hands on your head and we're not going to take you outside the city limits and we're not going to stone you to death, okay? Um, there was one who came to this earth and took all of our punishment for us. His name is Jesus. And so, yeah, your past history may be that of a blasphemer, but Jesus took all that on himself on the cross. I was a blasphemer. There's many times in my life I cursed God, many times. And I praise God that he has an abundance of grace and mercy, and for a kid who didn't know him, lots of, lots of uh, patience and long-suffering with this kid. God already knew he had plans for me. Um, But I'm so grateful that Jesus stepped in and took all of that for us. But here within the story, you have a very, very uh, clear message sent to the children of Israel. And, And oftentimes God does this. I mean, you look at the book of Acts when the church was just starting. You know, a husband and a wife couple, duo, they both dropped dead in church because they lied. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And God, God did that. 
he did that. And he, he sent a very effective message to the church of like, I take this seriously. And so should you. He takes his name seriously. And so should we. So this happened. They put him to death. It says, verse 17, anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. There you go. Uh, anyone who kills another person's animal must pay for it in full. And a live animal for the animal that was killed. That makes sense. Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, eye a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. Whoever kills an animal must pay it for it in full, but whoever kills uh, another person must be put to death. This same standard applies both to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. It, it treats everybody the same. I am the Lord your God. After Moses gave all these instructions to the Israelites, they took the blasphemer outside the camp and they stoned him to death. The Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And here God is instituting for the nation of Israel, um, there are consequences for your actions. And again, for us, this seems like, well, it just seems excessive, right? <laughs> like, this is crazy. This is communicating to these people, like, look, if, if you do something to harm somebody, then justice is coming. There will be retribution for that. And that probably curbed a lot of crime in the nation of Israel during this time. It probably did. Because when you just slap them on the hand, nobody learns a lesson that way. Nobody learns a lesson that way. If you just turn a blind eye to somebody who is purposely inflicting harm on somebody else, then guess what they're going to continue to do? Inflict harm on somebody else. It makes a lot of sense here within this text, and at the beginning of this, God's preparing his nation, going into the land, to let them know that he takes these things very seriously, and so ought they, right? Now, I don't, a lot of people will use this as their argument for capital punishment, and I don't know where you stand with that or all that good stuff. I don't know. But I do know that we see, especially in our day and age today, where if you're just slapping criminals on the hand, guess what? They're going to stay criminals. They're going to stay criminals. That's just what's going to happen. If you're letting people rob your store and you're not, nothing, no consequences, guess what's going to keep happening? Robberies. There has to be consequences. I mean, that's just how it is. You can't raise your kids like that. No, I don't think anybody in the right mind would do that. But if, if your child is doing something wrong or that's harmful, then you step in as a parent and you discipline them in a proper way. Now, if you go overboard or whatever, then you got to, you know, I've, I've, I've experienced that with my kids. I've gone overboard. What do I have to do? Then I apologize to my kids and I own it, right? But so I don't, this isn't like a, anything on spanking, like if you're pro spanking, not for spanking. I don't know, but you better step in and discipline your kids because you're turning them in, you're letting them free into society. And so everybody else will suffer at your either, you know, your lack of parenting or supervision. So you step in, we, we do this type of stuff. And within a society where there are laws and all that good stuff, you would hope that those who are responsible for upholding, upholding laws, whether that be your judges, your officers, and all that stuff, that everybody's doing what they can to maintain order, okay? Um, there should be consequences for sin and all that good stuff. Um, but God's instituting this thing from the very beginning. This is how it's going to go, okay? Uh, again, I think if I was an Israelite, 
hearing this message, I'd be like, okay, I just don't mess with anybody. <laughs> like, just don't. Okay, number one, it's in the commandments. Not to, not, don't steal from people, right? So don't do that. Don't harm somebody. You knock somebody's tooth out. Well, then they're going to come and knock your tooth out, right? So it's just not a good idea. Like, don't do it. Keep a, really, you can kind of take a step back and get a big picture of this. And you see what, like, New Testament times where it's like, there's something to be said about self-control. And it's a, it's a, it's a fruit of this Holy Spirit, self-control. Don't lose your cool. Don't, don't do something that might cause you to harm somebody. And then, you know, then don't be surprised if there's consequences for if that happens. So here's, God's just laying framework for these guys of like, this is what you do in these scenarios. Um, again, love God with all you have, with all, all of your being, and love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Now we go into 25. This chapter is a little bit long, but it kind of moves quickly. And there's, there's two things that we're going to be talking about here. The first part of it is the Sabbath year. And then we have the year of Jubilee, which is freedom, okay? So first thing we're going to look at is the Sabbath year. These are all things that the Israelites heard, received, and then totally ignored, okay? So just so you understand that, um, they, yeah, they're like, yes, that's preach, right? That's what they were saying to Moses. Preach. Oh, this is amazing. This is such a great idea. And then they turn around and they do not, they don't do any of this stuff, okay? So verse 20, or chapter 25, verse 1, while Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I'm giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest. The land must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. You can work the land for six years. On the seventh year, you are not allowed to work the land at all. And then you would say, if you own land, you'd be like, well, that's not fair. It's my land. Wrong. Wrong. It's not your land. For six years, you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. I love that. How Within that verse, you may plant your fields. You can prune your vineyards, harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away any crops that grow grow on their own or gather the grapes from uh, your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. Renewal. God goes on to say, because people would start having questions now, like, well, wait a minute, what are we supposed to be doing for a year? Like, you can't, you can't fast for that long, right? Like, we're going to, what, what are we supposed to do? God already knows. He's so smart. He's brilliant. He already knows. He says, but you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock and wild animals in your land also, or will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. So he's like, you can still eat. You just can't work the land. Can't work the land. You got to go a whole year. That would be hard. I think, that that would, I think it's a, an amazing concept, actually. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of people in our day, you know, pro-environment and all that good stuff. Um, there's nobody more pro-environment than God. He's like, it's my land. I get, 
wish you guys would just give my land a break, <laughs> right? And there's so much science behind this. The logic behind this is, is amazing if they would just put it into practice, but they didn't put it into practice because they're greedy, because we're greedy. And I mean, honestly, if I'm a landowner in Israel during this time, I would just, I'd probably be guilty of breaking it because number one, I just don't think I trust them that much. A whole year without harvesting, you know how much money you're costing me, God? That's my livelihood. You know, if you're harvesting so that you can sell and all that good stuff, like that's a year of my wages that I'm supposed to, what, just trust you with? And he's like, yeah, exactly. How am I going to survive? Well, your good shepherd who loves you knows how to provide for you. And it's not like you, you can still do a little bit of harvesting type stuff, but you can't work the fields. The fields need rest. It says, in addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all, Then on the Day of Atonement, in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This 50th year will be a a jubilee for you. This is like a a freedom festival. So you get to like go back to like your original land. Like my family owned a plot of land over here and way back then. And so, but if you make it to this 50th year, then you get to go back. That's your land. That's your land. And and the Bible is going to explain this of like how the scenarios and circumstances of how that person didn't have that land anymore. But on this reset year, so to speak, it's like, no. If that was your family's plot of land, you go back to it. And whoever bought it for you, they have to give it, they have to sell it back to you. you that's your plot. That's your land. Get your family back together. Go, to your, go back to your land. Verse, uh, the rest of verse, verse 11, the 50th year will be a jubilee, uh, jubilee for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow there on their own. And don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee year for you, and you must keep it holy. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the year of jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other, right? So again, loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to, oh, my neighbor's on hard times. I'm going to buy his land from him, and I'm going to like, I'm going to get it for a steal, no, no, no. It's your neighbor. You should love them. You're not looking to get one over on them. You're looking to help them out. The whole goal is family. The whole goal is community. The whole goal is helping each other out with the year of Jubilee in the forefront of your brain. Because you understand, no matter what you purchase land-wise, you got to give it back. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's not anybody's. It's God's. Don't take advantage of each other. When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you must pay must be based on the number of years since the last jubilee. The seller must set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining until the next year of the jubilee. The more years until the next jubilee, the higher the price. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless. 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is making his way through the book of Leviticus. Now, when we open the book of Leviticus, we first read these words. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He starts talking to Moses about the offerings that the people are to bring. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar, as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The animals they offered were to be without blemish. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he was the perfect Lamb of God. And yet the writer of Romans says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We no longer sacrifice animals to cover our sin, but in reverence and in worship of Jesus who paid that price for us once and for all, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The book of Leviticus can open our eyes to how we're to live before the King of Kings. Here at Bread for the Broken, we're committed to helping people find hope and new life in Jesus. To hear other great messages filled with that hope and life, head over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. That's all that we have for today. Pastor James will be back with you next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.